In today's episode of Talk to Thompson's podcast, we are joined by partner Patrick Maguire from Thompson's, by Tommy and Yvonne, who are both survivors of historical abuse, Janine Rennie and Sandra Toyer from Wellbeing Scotland, and Anne MacDonald from InCare Survivor Service Scotland. We're going to be discussing what the relationships between Thompson's and these, these vital charities are, and we're also going to be having a look at the Scottish Government's proposed redress scheme. So if you can all please start by just introducing yourself, telling us who you are. Yeah, hi, I'm Patrick McGuire. I'm a partner with Thompson's Solicitors, and uh, I work alongside Laura Connor, assisting survivors of historic abuse, uh, obtain justice. And of course, seek to change the law where that needs to be changed. And at the moment, our biggest challenge is in relation to the uh, redress bill that's before the Scottish Parliament. Hi, I'm Janine Rennie. I'm the Chief Executive of Wellbeing Scotland. And Wellbeing Scotland have been working with survivors of abuse throughout our history. We started in 1994. And throughout that time, we've been working with survivors of abuse. And we started delivering a service to people who had been abused in care in 2008. So we have a strong commitment to working with survivors and likewise with Patrick have concerns raised to us by the survivors that we work with about terms within the redress bill. So we wanted to have some discussion about that. I'm Sandra, Sandra Torrier. I work alongside Janine at Wellbeing Scotland. I've been there for over 13 years and during that time I've worked with hundreds of survivors and uh, listening to their voices and their points of view. Now that redress is finally coming, there's obviously a lot of unrest to see what the outcome of the bill is going to be, but our job is basically to make sure their voices are heard. Hi, I'm Anne MacDonald. I've been working with survivors for about 30 years. I used to manage Kingdom Abuse Survivors Project, and that's where I first came across survivors of historic abuse because there was a big case from St Margaret's Children's Home so we supported, the, it was all male survivors, over the whole investigation, the trial, and then the public inquiry. And since then, I've been involved, I was involved in setting up in Care Survivors Service Scotland. And I've been campaigning and petitioned the Parliament, and we have a cross-party group, of which I'm co-convener with Janine. And I have real issues around some aspects of the redress bill. My name's Tommy Harley. Um, I'm a survivor of historical abuse, uh, campaigner and volunteer with Wellbeing Scotland, uh, campaigner for Take Justice, uh, and concerns about the redress, and I'm glad to be on board with it. Uh. Hi, I'm Yvonne, and case survivor as well. First person I met was Janine Rennie at Open Secret, and Sandra Toyer, who became a counsellor for Wellbeing Scotland. I do campaigning and volunteering for Take Justice, Boys Within in Wellbeing Scotland and in care survivors. And the redress, a lot of the survivors aren't happy about it at all. That's all I'll say just now. Thank you. If we can start by having a bigger introduction into who Wellbeing Scotland are and what services that Wellbeing have for survivors. So Wellbeing Scotland, as Yvonne said, we originally started a way back in our history as Open Secret and we've developed over time to a wide, wide range of services. We now provide a lot of different aspects of service for survivors where we have structured counselling with specialist trauma therapists, which is extremely important because a lot of the people that we work with have been through really complex trauma. But as well as that, we offer advocacy because a lot of people have got a lot of issues with housing benefits, numerous different things, even bringing forward the civil cases. Now, I'll come on to that later with about the relationship with Thompson's, but we also support people to maybe make a report to the police. So we've got a number of different advocacy aspects that we deliver 
also a lot of people are not ready for counselling and they just want some informal support. So we're able to offer that as well. And for some people, that's enough to make sure that they're okay to maybe go for counselling later on. They're not really ready to go right into that. But we also, as, as Tommy mentioned, are, we support the Voice Within group, who are a group of survivors who have been absolutely fantastic at campaigning. We have other therapeutic groups within the service as well on a number of different issues. We offer services like EMDR. So we've got like a wide range. We realise that one size doesn't fit all and that MD can access whatever is appropriate to their needs at that time. But as well as that, one of the most important things about our role, I think, is campaigning because survivors often haven't had a voice and it's very important for the service that we can support them in that. And I don't mean we're about empowerment. We're not doing anything for anybody. We're working together in partnership to be able to campaign. And for that reason, we got involved with the Take Justice campaign with Thompson Solicitors. And that's really been taking the lead in some ways on the sort of campaign we've been doing about redress. We realised that way back in 2008 that survivors were struggling with legal advice and nobody wanted to support survivors with legal advice back then. It was, it was really, really challenging. I couldn't get a solicitor. Every time we tried to contact a solicitor, there was barriers. So when Patrick came forward to me and said that Thompsons were willing to support survivors, I was extremely encouraged by that and also the kind of approach that Patrick has in terms of the empathy that he has towards survivors of abuse. So a lot of the original relationship with Thompson's was due to realising that real kind of empathy and care for survivors and the fact that Thompson's were willing to have all of their staff with specialist trauma training from us. But not just that, they were willing to have specialist trauma training, but they were also willing to have ongoing supervision from our team to make sure that the way they were working with survivors was ethical and not, not harmful. So we've then sort of maintained a relationship going forward, which I think gives that additional bit for survivors that if they need legal advice on any aspect, and Thompson's have been really flexible, they don't just offer legal advice on things to do with historic abuse. They, they also offer other legal advice for people who are struggling with any aspect of their life. So that's something that others don't offer and, and I think has been really key. So that's all these additional wraparound services we're now able to offer. The relationship between Thompson's and Wellbeing Scotland is absolutely vital uh, to the services that we are collectively able to uh, provide to survivors of historic abuse. And I use that word provide together deliberately because it is very much a partnership. The way we approach matters, Janine's explained the great assistance that uh, Wellbeing provide to our own team of lawyers and of course Thompson's are the only firm in Scotland that have a dedicated uh, team of solicitors who only represent and pursue claims on behalf of survivors of historic abuse but that's all the members of that team do and it's vital that each and every member of that team are trauma-informed that they do receive proper supervision and all of that's provided by wellbeing and they couldn't do the job they do and they couldn't provide the support that they do to survivors without in turn the support we get from Wellbeing Scotland. So it's entirely partnership approach and together we are making a difference in survivors' lives and I'm very proud of that relationship and what we have done and it's only going to get stronger as the law continues to change and as cases are taken forward and as more survivors come forward and take justice. So I suppose that leads me on to my next question about, Janine, you mentioned the trauma-informed approach that you work with Thompson's on. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what that involves in terms of training and supporting survivors? Yeah, it's absolutely vital. I mean, Wellbeing Scotland 
have been delivering training on trauma for a number of years, but one of the most important aspects of delivering trauma training is people don't understand the impact quite often, the long-term impact to people, not only who have been abused, but particularly people who have been abused in care. And Anne and myself obviously have worked in this for a number of years, and we have an understanding at cross-party group level about the kind of level of trauma, but that doesn't really go wider out into society. And a lot of people don't understand that a lot of survivors, when they come out and speak, it's extremely traumatic for them to speak to anybody about what happened. Now, to really reflect on that, think about if you had to tell anybody something intensely personal about your own life, and it could be something that you've never told anybody before because you've not been able to speak out. And all of a sudden, the first time that you start to speak out, you're speaking to maybe a solicitor about a case that you want to bring forward, or you're speaking to, or even you're speaking to a GP. Any any walk of life for the first time that somebody discloses is a risk actually because that person, when they first disclose that abuse, could go away and start really feeling quite suicidal and quite distressed. So it's absolutely vital that people understand the complexity that, that somebody who's been abused faces. They will not have been believed in the past. Quite often when they have told, people will have reacted with putting their hands up in horror and that really reinforces for somebody, you know, the horror of what has happened to them. So, you know, there's all sorts of aspects that can re-traumatise and it's absolutely vital that the approach that somebody takes is appropriate. And that means that, you know, quite often it may well be that a solicitor from Thompson's can't just sit down with somebody, you know, they have to have that support first to get them ready to report. And then when somebody from Thompson's is working with somebody and, and getting a statement, they might realise that person's really struggling. And by being trauma-informed and recognising those signs that somebody's really struggling, they can then come forward and ask for the specialist support from wellbeing. So it means that I would say the relationship we have is largely about safety as well, because, and Patrick will know I never stop talking about safety. It's incredibly important that the survivors are really safe within that and you know any kind of process I mean redress is coming up is going to be exactly the same any process where somebody has to go and speak about what happened can be really re-traumatizing I mean one way of looking at it is can you imagine that if anything really awful that happened if you were to go and recount that again you'd have all the same feelings you'd have your blood pressure rising you would have your heart beating fast you would be breathing fast you would be so anxious if you had to talk about it, you imagine somebody that's been abused over years upon years of significant abuse having to speak to anybody about that. So even when survivors speak up, and Tommy and Yvonne have been really brave today to come on and speak up again, because, and they have done throughout the Take Justice campaign, because every time that somebody speaks about it, there'll be a couple of, even a couple of days or longer where that feels really not good. And that's why it's really important that we are able to support people and that Thompsons are not just like many lawyers, I suppose, would maybe just race in and just like give me your statement that they're doing their job and that's that's important. But, you know, it's really important to go, no, well, we've done this, but I can see you're struggling, we need to stop. And all of that's involved in the training. Thank you. Tommy, Yvonne, do you want to speak of your experiences of dealing with Thompson's? Aye, I'll, uh, I'll come in here. I think we'll, we'll just work, well, for, personally for myself, the biggest thing was uh, the trust when I opened up about this second, I was in the rehab. And I never had any drugs to numb all the pain. So I had to deal with all the feelings and all the memories then. It was quite hard going. I got involved. It was open secret. It was Sandra. Sandra was the first person I met. And it just stopped staying for there. And after the counselling, I was going to counselling every week with open secret. And 
uh, getting involved in different seminars and events and building my confidence. Now that I've got the skills there to deal with it all, I, can, uh, I just put my trust in Sandra and Sandra and Janine and that. And I met Janine at an event, Bowness, or Alan, I think it was Bowness, I met Janine for the first time. And I've just built my relationship up with Wellbeing Scotland. And then with Thompson's there, and I got to know the Thompson's team, and I got asked them to uh, campaign there, which was great, man. Been the, that's what I've been missing, the campaigning. And going, being out in the streets and meeting all the people working, and I, I, I've loved it, man. I can't wait to get to, to campaign again, eh? It was hard. It was really hard at times, yeah. And I've got to deal with this on a daily basis yeah, because where I work, um, I work in a secure unit, so I was insecure myself. Yeah. So all the issues come up for me all the time, yeah. But I got the skills and the ability to, right, just switch after it, yeah, and that's what I, I do. I went and have a hearing. It's something I've a hearing going on for Sandra, Janine, or and I spoke to Laura yesterday, so I think it'd be chat with Laura yesterday. It's options, yeah. So I'm quite pleased with myself, eh, how far I've come. It's, it's a nice feeling, eh? it's a nice feeling, man. Yeah, I would just like to say, if it wasn't for Wellbeing Scotland, Sandra Toy or Janine Rennie, a way, way back, when I was at my lowest, and it was them that brought me back into my life and got everything sorted out and spoke about everything, I started campaigning for Thompson's, which Thompson's are, the, I would say, the best lawyers that I've ever, ever met. And each and every one of them, I've got a passion for the survivors. And that's where we all build our trust, because we need to be trusted as well. And knowing people care and Wellbeing Scotland and Thompson's care, they're really, really, they're really compassionate about their jobs yeah, and the survivors. I suppose from you know, my perspective, I, I'm just so delighted and encouraged that a solicitor's firm Thompson's have actually taken on board this whole issue for survivors because like Janine I had trouble with with advocacy with survivors trying to get a decent lawyer so and the fact that, that they have taken the training that they do understand you know the need for the timing to be right and understanding all the things that Janine described the physical you know the, the heartbeat the high blood pressure the you know the breathing all of that so I just, I just feel you know really heartened and heartened that survivors are also informing as well as receiving legal advice but their histories their experiences are informing and I suppose it just means that you know you've actually got a kind of a real wraparound you know kind of service which is obviously we need the legal minds, we need that legal you know, viewpoint to get justice, but also the compassion. I just think it's brilliant. Just to re reiterate much of what was said, but I think you know over the years the bond that has it has formed between well-being Thompsons and the people we work with, for instance, Yvonne and Tommy, has been great because we've all sort of you know got our sleeves up and we'll walk the streets in many towns, speaking to many people. We're stood in the cold, freezing you know, just to hopefully get the message across. Uh, and I think that was really a wonderful kind of partnership. I hope it continues. It's a wee bit different now, obviously, but as I say, each team's always at the other end of a phone. Thompson's is very open to taking calls from survivors. You know, they will answer their calls when they need to. So yeah, it's been a really good partnership, I think, definitely. So one of the main things that we've we've already mentioned is the redress scheme from the Scottish Government and why I suppose we have an issue with it. 
So the, the redress scheme is a proposal at the minute. It's in a, a bill before the Scottish Parliament. And the idea is that it will introduce a no-fault compensation scheme, is how the government are describing it, for any survivor of in-care abuse. And that, that's the first thing we have to take into account and bear in mind is that it's only for survivors of in-care abuse. And it's a scheme that they say is designed, as I said, to be no-fault. And it's a scheme that is supposed to be designed to be easy and quick. But it really looks like it's none of those things, that it's failed in its most basic objectives. There are different tiers of payments available to survivors. Those tiers themselves are causing survivors significant concern, to put it mildly, because they're so low, they're so arbitrary, and to qualify for any higher level than the basic award of £10,000, it's really just an adversarial competitive system anyway. So there's nothing easy or quick about it. But most importantly, I think the concern is that as part of this scheme, the Scottish Government have gone out to try and get the institutions where these survivors were abused to put into a pot of money to, to form the, the fund that the payments will be made from. And to do that, the Scottish Government have said they have had to introduce within the scheme what they're describing as a waiver. And what that means is that if a survivor goes to the scheme and successfully accepts an award under the scheme, they have to sign away their rights to pursue a civil claim for compensation. That if they accept a payment under the scheme, that's it, they can no longer pursue a civil case. And there's so many problems with that. Firstly, at a most basic level, because of the levels of compensation that the scheme envisages, a survivor would undoubtedly get far more money in most cases by going through a civil court case. Secondly, it completely and utterly disempowers survivors. That the Scottish Government, let's be fair, have spent many years bringing forward various pieces of legislation and support schemes that have actually helped survivors, removing time bar being a classic example of a very good and positive piece of legislation. And what they've done with one foul swoop and what may be the last legislative intervention for survivors is remove all of that. They've pulled the rug from underneath it because they've taken away survivors' voices through the waiver, they've disempowered them, and they've left them frankly traumatised. They've left them in a position where, once again, they have no faith and no trust in the Scottish Government. And that's perhaps the saddest thing of all, because over the years, with all the changes that have been introduced, slowly, surely, I think some trust was being built up, and that's now just completely and utterly dashed. And that's why every survivor that we've all spoken to in Wellbeing Scotland and Thompson's are absolutely adamant that it's got to change and they won't accept the position as it currently stands. Yeah, that's vital. As Patrick said, we've had quite a few meetings with one point we had about 95 survivors wanted to be involved in speaking about this and that was just out of the current cohort of clients that we're working with there'll be many more and they were very angry distressed i had pages upon pages upon pages of comments of people who were extremely angry and distressed by this and we we ran a quick survey we just ran it over a few days we had a huge response and people were to a person really saying that they were opposed aspects of the redress scheme that Patrick's talking about so you know we realise there's a lot of upset about this and my concern is people were really starting to feel as Patrick said that they maybe were being listened to by the overturning the time bar it's something we campaigned for for a number of years and we thought this is great people have got the chance for justice now and what redress will effectively do is people who are sitting and literally some of them are in debt they don't have a penny to their name to get out of that 
they'll accept the £10,000 payment because they're in desperation and they'll, they'll accept it as quickly as they possibly can because they're in desperation. But what will happen six months later when they start to think, what could have been? What damage is that going to do? And people have already told me that that's what they're really concerned about, that they'll feel they have to take it for their families or for all sorts of different circumstances, the £10,000 or whatever else they get. And then they'll start thinking, why did I do that? Because, you know, I could really have changed my life. This isn't going to change my life. If you think about it, the upper limit of £80,000, that's not even an average salary for three years. And a lot of the people that we've worked with have actually lost their entire careers through really significant physical and emotional impacts of complex trauma. And everybody recognises the impact of complex trauma and how serious that is. So, you know... How can you compensate with £80,000? You can't. And that's to get that £80,000, people are going to have to say, well, I was abused more than somebody else. You know, my abuse was this. So we're going to then have a situation which we've had for years. The survivor community is very connected. So the survivor community are going to feel like it's a competition about who got more than who else. And that's really not right. It's morally wrong. So for there even to be a scale in the first place, I've been concerned about these consultations about all of this. First of all, the consultation about whether people wanted a waiver. When you actually went through and read the questions, people didn't understand the question and the vast majority of people didn't want the waiver. But as well as that, the consultations that have taken place have had a very, very low number of survivors have even responded to them because they've been inaccessible. If you go back and read the mad struggle, I had a struggle following it. You know, and we're dealing with people who often their education was impaired by the fact of what they went through and they've been having to fill in this consultation. A lot of them don't have access to computers. So there was all sorts of barriers for people to be involved and a low number of survivors answered. Now, in our history, we worked with about 3,000 people who were abused in care through the NCARE Survivor Service. But as well as that, a huge proportion more who were in the prison scenario and a load more prior to the in-care survivor service starting. So we've dealt with a huge number of people who were abused in care. They didn't have their voices heard. And when I went back to them and asked, did you feel your voices were heard in the consultation? To a person again, they said no. So they, their voices weren't heard in this. If the Scottish government wants respect from survivors of abuse, it's time they really started to listen. Because as Patrick said, there's been a lot of positive moves, but this could set everything back as if nothing had ever happened and nothing had ever moved forward. It's taken away choice, it's taken away empowerment. To me, I just find it, when I read it, I read it on a Friday afternoon and I think I went straight on the phone to Patrick and Laura and just said, what on earth is going on here? I just can't believe this is happening. And I knew how that would impact on the survivors and that was my biggest concern because I knew people were going to feel really distressed by this and that's not okay. I agree with that, um, Janine. I mean, to me, I just honestly... When I read it, I just thought, is this real? It's a complete retrograde step for everything they've said and done. It is not trauma-informed at all. And yet we've been going on for the past 20 years, talking to them about the kind of having a shared understanding, a language, an understanding of what trauma is. So it flies in the face of everything that they've said. And to me, it exploits survivors who've been controlled by their abusers, the institutions where they were placed, and now the government and it's silencing them once again and removing justice. And I think it flies in the face of everything the government has said. When I watched the Swinney announcing it, I just thought this is just absolute hypocrisy. You have gone back on everything you've said before. As I say, I, I see it as the exploitation of survivors 
of taking away their rights, which they've fought for for decades. If you look at it from a very basic level, we've got Yvonne and Tommy here today and I've worked with them for many, many years and I know the levels of abuse that each of them have suffered and that it's had on them. However, if, if Yvonne and Tommy had to go in front of the redress committee having to tell their story again to prove what happened to them and then Yvonne gets awarded 10,000 and Tommy gets 80,000, you know, you can imagine what's going to happen within the survivor community when all this happens, setting brother against brother, families against each other who have went through the same levels of abuse, but there'll be a committee who will decide the award. To me, it's it's cruel and it's very, very unfair. Um, yeah, I just think the whole region scheme needs to be stripped back, majority of it, and refill it again. But again, that could hold it back. It's just a, such a shame after all these years and, and you know, all the sort of positives that have happened and the final hurdle, I think, which everybody was working towards. It's just been this total kind of gesture, you know, of quieting survivors, you know, shutting them down once again. You know, control over their voices. Some other people are making the decisions for them once again and they're going to have to jump through all the hoops to get some form of recognition, some form of apology, some form of redress. But is that justice? I'd have to ask. I'd have to say no. That's not justice. A lot of the survivors have got an issue with the redress because they're, they're given three payments, £10,000 to not go to anybody else and you not know, speak about it. Between twenty and 80000 how long the abuse happened and how long did it go on for? which abuse is abuse no, no matter how long it went on. Even if it went once, it still scars a child for life. And I think it's wrong the way, and I don't think the government should be our judge. I believe the nearest thing to God is a judge. So I would rather be judged by a judge than the government. That That's my attitude to it. But I feel it for a lot of the survivors because a lot of them don't know what to do or they're just in limbo. You know what I'm talking about, Patrick, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've got a wee thing here, right, I'll from a friend, and I'd spoke about the redress and that as well, and she'd said, what a share of absolute monsters, a system of gross obscenity, humanity out the window, in comes bloody church, bloody others to help children, they forget children grow up and carry it all, knowing they were unloved in these places trapped with the devil's own. So, that's your survivors, sign me and all that, and... A lot of them are, are still, how can I say, still surviving because they, they just don't know that they're, they're coming, they're gone, and one minute, remember the time bar, never know, getting put on, and they just don't know where they're coming or going, Patrick. But they all want justice, definitely. We, we all want justice by a judge. Janine, do you want to say something about the corporal punishment? Because this is another area that I find really objectionable. Yeah, absolutely. So... There's been discussion that um, some forms of abuse may be considered to have been the corporal punishment of the time. What they were saying was that, you know, if you look back in the, at those years and you say the kind of abuse that happened, hitting children would have been considered to be corporal punishment, then that will not be covered under the redress scheme. Now, I think the laws of the time were wrong and we're already looking back into the time and saying that so much went wrong because children were abused. The laws that were about at that time where it was okay to hit children were not okay. So it actually compounds the mistake by actually saying that, you know, we're now going to say that that was corporal punishment. 
what happened to children at that time and how badly they were beaten. And, you know, the, probably the institutions would argue that that was corporal punishment. There was cruel and nasty, horrible things that were done to survivors in terms of if they went to bed, the sheets were paraded in front of everybody in the home to humiliate them. Was that corporal punishment? You know, it's not okay to say that we made mistakes in the past, so we're now going to say that was the way it happened in those days. The way things happened in those days involved the torture, abuse, and horrific things for children. So, you know, I think that is an absolute insult to the survivors that we work with, who are now all worrying themselves sick, saying, was my abuse considered bad enough? Now, you imagine if you're a little child who's been in your home for whatever reason, and you go into that home and you're looking to be safe and secure, and you might even be treated like you're an object instead of a person. What does that do to you? We, none of us have ever had to have that experience. What does that do if that individual who you've not gained any trust for, who treats you like that, then batters you and calls it smacking? Is that okay? I don't think so. So to me, this is just an absolute insult. I, I, I couldn't, I was furious when I saw it because it's making survivors really, really worry. I've enjoyed what everybody said. Would the government sit back if a young kid been in care just now? Would they just sit back and say, well, we deserved it, come on? Because we were survivors, eh? we've survived all this, eh? we're adults, we're grown adults, and we've had to, can, to deal with it all, come on. But would the government, be, I, mean, I heard a woman saying this, eh? would the government, can, would we be having this if it was their kids that was in care, come on? The corporal punishment, but the kickings, the beatings, the slaps, the punches. The you, I used to get the school belt on the backside, pulled over a boardroom table at Mossy Farden, and a member of staff, an air member of staff, of gave six. The belt, school belt, poor pronger, over the backside. It was just a constant thing every day, a daily, on a daily basis. All this, just what Sandra said, the redress for a pay, the payment scheme came in. It's like a survivor, like say, if a survivor gets. 10,000 or 20,000, another one gets 80,000. First survival was only in for a matter of weeks, and that was abuse, was abuse came in. It should never have, but it did happen. We never asked for it, eh? We never asked for it. We thought we were going into care to get looked after because we couldn't get looked after at home, eh? And then getting treated all this way and came right up until the day you leave, eh? I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask to be abused. I didn't ask to be sexually abused, eh? Again, somebody took it upon themselves eh, and groomed me and Saying we can all survivors come in. We never asked for this. Eh? And now we're just fighting for, for rights for survivors to put their voices to be heard. The government comes along with They've come along with a couple of schemes, they eh, can like future pathways. And I've, I've experienced being with them coming in. I would never ever ask them for anything again. The anxiety that I had to go through eh, to get a payment after me, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. Come on. Um, I took a step back for the men. Now they've come out, they're trying to introduce this, the redress. And then there's a panel there, and you have to go in front of this panel and say how much abuse you've been through. It's, it's no right, man. It's no right at all. And you're even your rights. And your rights has all been taken away again, again. Come on. And I, I think that's the heart of the whole thing is that after, as we said, all these years, really positive steps by the Scottish Government, we've now got this piece of legislation that, that's if you're going to be generous to them, you'd say it's been written in the most ham-fisted way possible, that they've not thought for a second about what implications even reading this bill is going to have in survivors and the organisations that support them. Or worse, that it is not trauma-informed in any way, shape or form. That when they put in a section relating to corporal punishment, 
they don't actually think what impact that's going to have. They don't think of what they're trying to achieve and whether that section's required at all, because it's not. When they talk about the different tiers, there's no explanation. There's nothing in the face of the bill that talks about general principles. They don't think about what impact that's going to have on the people that's reading it. When they talk about the panel, it's just a bland comment. The truth is nobody knows. Is this panel going to take evidence in written form? Is it going to, uh, are survivors going to be presumed? To be, you know, is there a presumption of, of, of truth, which I think there should be? Or are they going to be grilled? Is it going to be a cross-examination? Nobody knows. We've got this really light, bland piece of legislation that is just causing survivors untold trauma every single day. And that, in many ways, is the greatest travesty of all, that at this final hurdle, as, as Sandra said, they've just put together, in a rush it would seem, this really ill-thought, ill-conceived piece of legislation that is completely and utterly not trauma-informed. I think that's quite a, a powerful summary of that, Patrick. Does anyone else have anything to, to add on that? Yeah, I just, I just feel like I've been reflecting on this a lot, particularly Annie and I had the cross-party group yesterday, so we have been fighting for all these years for justice for survivors. And it's been a passion for us all, I guess, that have been working in the field. And, you know, we were at the cross-party group yesterday and we're, we're still continuing to fight. And we've been fighting all these years. And Anne's work managed to bring forward so many changes that she had a reference group that fought for the rights of in-care survivors and really made a change and a difference. And I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for Anne, but I mean, in terms of, it's so frustrating when we got this far and then we feel that this is actually causing harm and I'm sure that wasn't the intention. But people, the politicians involved should take a step back and say, okay, we were doing things for the right intentions, but it, it could potentially cause harm. We need, to, we need to revisit it. And as Sandra said, in such a way that it's not going to hold up the bill because that would be appalling because survivors have waited for so long. But if they take the right advice then the bill could be changed to make it trauma-informed. And it's advice from people like Anne, the cross-party group, you know, Thompson's. You know, they should be taking advice from the people who have worked in this field and who know. And one of the concerns I've had right from the very beginning of all these processes is the advice has not been taken from the people who do know. And that's the survivors as much as anything else. You know, the, the, the government continually <coughs> says they consult with survivors. Well, they haven't consulted with any survivors that I know. So, you know, I'm not sure, as far as I'm aware, the interaction group didn't come up with any of these options. So I'm not sure where the consultation's been for this. And I'm just really frustrated that we're at a stage now that we've got a piece of legislation that could essentially cause more harm. And we hope that every politician in Scotland listens to this. We've had a bit of a response from MSP saying that this isn't somebody from my constituency that's maybe asked. This affects everybody. You don't know if your neighbour's somebody that's been affected by this because they don't want to speak out. You don't know if one of your constituents has been affected by this because the nature of it is they don't want to talk. So every MSP in Scotland needs to be listening to this and seeing the harm that this could cause in making the change. I don't know if you want to add into that, Anne, but... Yeah, I mean, again, I was quite astounded because the cross-party group has, consists of survivors, survivor agencies like Wellbeing Scotland and others like Bernardo's and NSPCC children's charities. There's psychologists, there's a lot of different academics, there's a lot of people there. And the wealth of experience in that group, apart from survivors and us as allies, is quite substantial. 
and yet we never were consulted on this. And I have actually worked as a professional advisor with the Scottish Government. I sat on the Care Law Inquiry, sat on the bill that changed public records, um, worked in Care and Justice to develop In Care Survivors Scotland, and, and a lot of other things. It's not, I'm not giving a drum roll of what I've done, but I've been involved in all these things in the people in the cross-party group, and none of us were ever consulted. It seems quite extraordinary. The, they never came near. And it's not as if they don't know the cross-party groups there. It's been in existence for 20 years. Quite astounded. So I just would echo everything that Janine and Patrick and the survivors have said. I think it's appalling. I think, I honestly can't, I mean, I'm never lost for words very often, but I'm completely lost for words as to why they drew this up the way they have. Because it's, it's something from the dark ages compared to the other pieces of legislation that they have actually completed and that has made a, a, a difference. Not enough, but a bit of a difference. It needs to be changed. It needs, I'm embarrassed by it as a citizen of Scotland because the Irish redress was written in, and it wasn't perfect, but it was written in a trauma-informed, what Patrick was saying, way. It was compassionate. And also the amounts of money were far greater than the, the bans that we have here. 10,000 pounds. Don't start me. Mm-hmm. Thank you all very much for that. Does anyone have anything else they want to add? In general, Tommy, Yvonne, do you have anything else that you'd like to say to make people aware of? I would just like a lot of supervisors to come forward. Now, even if get one of some, an MP or something to let them all know exactly how they're all feeling. You know, like a Zoom meeting or something. I don't know if that can be done, though. Yeah, that's something we're hoping to do, Yvonne. We've had a wee bit of a struggle because we've been contacting a lot of MSPs and, like I said, a lot of them are saying it needs to be somebody in their constituency saying we, we wouldn't have that information because it's confidential. So, But we will be pushing that forward. I know Patrick and myself and Sandra and Anne as well, we're all really keen to really push that. So that will be our next stage is to try and get MSPs to listen to the survivors. Good, good. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's sad that it's come to this, and plus we're limited today because we've got to go by the guidelines with this COVID-19 and everything will be done through Zoom meetings and we can't go in the streets, we can't go and campaign, eh? I mean, it's, it's, it's just everything will be done through that and it's just it's a slower process, eh? but it's just sad, it's just sad, man, for the government's come out with and it's just a, it's like a right slap and it's a right slap for survivors, eh? Um, I hope and pray it gets changed. I eh? hope and pray it gets changed for survivors. Eh? As I said, eh, survivors never ask for this. Eh? They've had to live with it. Eh? So I hope, it, I hope it and pray it gets changed. Eh? I think that's a, a really strong way to end it. Tommy, thank you for that. Thanks, I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us today and for sharing their experiences. I know it can't have been an easy thing for them to have done and I hope that with what they've said that it gives a better understanding of what well-being are hoping to achieve and we work with Thompson's how that can be progressed. Time to time to-